Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. Julia, what a great episode. And I think you were so right in describing him as a dental national treasure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, truly believe that. I mean, he may well be the editor in chief of the BDJ, but that's a guy who's done all sorts of different things for all sorts of different people publishing he went to drama school later in life as an actor writes screenplays i feel like we needed another hour to really get into the full depth of his career journey yeah <laughs> I, th- I think you're right we probably could have done a, a lot longer there for anybody that hasn't already guessed from what we've said this week's episode is with stephen hancocks so sit back and enjoy with your hosts josh hudson and julia bruin Welcome, Stephen, to the podcast today. Now, before we um, sort of tease out your um, career, I think it would be fair to say that you are a national treasure <laughs> in the dental industry. Wow. So, so perhaps tell us how you first started even thinking about having a career in dentistry. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you very much indeed for those kind words. I don't think I've been called a national treasure before, <laughs> um, but I'll take that. Um and thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. How did it all begin? Um, well, I always wanted to be an actor, darling, um, and did some uh, acting, professional acting as a child and absolutely loved it, knew that my heart really was in the theatre. Um, <clears throat> so was was planning to be an actor or hoping to be an actor. But some of the professional actors who were very kind of darling and cooey and so darling, 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 yes, or you'd be charming, yes, you'd be absolutely marvellous. Um, but, but you know, do bear in mind that you, you could end up in as a, as a young man in a, in a bed sit in London eating baked beans out of a tin. I thought that actually sounded quite nice at age 13. I thought, yeah, I could, I could do that. That sounds good. But I did, I did get what they were saying. And my head kind of said, maybe I should think about doing something else. And perchance, as these things happen in life, we had to write um, a project for English on some aspect of health. And I cannot tell you to this day, I really don't know why I chose dentistry. I think I'd flicked through a medical dictionary and gone beyond chiropody and come back from gynecology and landed in the D section. Um, you didn't have a lovely childhood dentist that you aspired to be like. Actually, we did. And, and I wrote to him and, and explained this and said, could I come and ask some questions one day after you finish surgery? Not appreciating at age 13 that the last thing anybody wants to do at 4.30 or 5 p.m. is to answer questions from a spotty teenager. And he wrote back and said, well, why don't you wait till the Easter holidays and come and watch? So I accepted and went in on the first morning and cowered really in the corner. Um, but well, as long as you didn't faint, I suppose you probably yeah, did all right then. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it actually is, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. No, I didn't faint, but he and he was and he was an extraordinary character, and that's probably the subject of another podcast. Um, and he got to lunchtime and he said, "Well, you haven't asked me many questions." I come back. Well, you better come back this afternoon. So I 
came back that afternoon and then the next day and spent most of the Easter holidays there. And uh, towards the end of the holiday, uh, he'd been chatting generally about practice and so on, and he had uh, a session on a practice session on a Saturday morning, and he was having difficulty finding a dental nurse who would come in on a Saturday morning. So ever the cheeky chappy, I said, well, I'll come and do it. And he had this wonderful laugh. This is probably going to completely upset this microphone. But he had a Sid James laugh. And he went, <laughs> when can you start? And so, so he bought me a little white jacket. And, and I was a dental nurse on a Saturday morning throughout my teenage years. Wow, well, that, that is really a good. fantastic way to start this podcast because I don't suppose very many people know that story. So. Possibly not, no, but absolutely true. And, and I saw that, you know, he had a good standard of living and uh, enjoyed his work and did a lot of very good, positive work. His patients loved him. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, if I say I want to be a dentist, then it will take all the careers teachers off my back and, and that will be fine. And in due course, you know, I could be a dentist and then half the week and then an actor the other half of the week. And of course, it took about 25 years longer than I anticipated, but that is actually what happened. So because I went to drama school um, in my early 40s, so... You know, I think there's an element of acting with our job anyway, isn't yeah, there? Really, I mean, you know, every yeah. every patient experience is is a situation where you have to put on a different face depending Absolutely. on who's coming in, depending on what mm. you're doing, and all mm. that sort of thing. Yep. So, mm. different audience for every every scenario. Mm. So, yeah. then, mm. so, so, and you obviously applied to dental school, was yes. successful. Yep. Yep. And then what happened? So tell us a bit about the early, early start the, stages. The early stages, yeah. Um, yes, applied to um, University College uh, Dental School. So in fact, um, in which was in Tottenham Court Road, uh, and in those days allied to University College. And in fact, some of the buildings that the Eastman now inhabits were part of that whole setup. So it's kind of full circle, <laughs> very strangely. Um, yeah, the undergraduate years, very uh, intense. In those days, the BDS course was four years and one term, so not, not even five years. Um, so very full, very intense. And so the acting thing, there wasn't really very much opportunity to, to do that because of time. But what I found was that I could write instead. So I could write on the bus, in the bath, wherever. You didn't need to have a rehearsal room and lots of other people around. So I started writing and was determined to get finals out of the way before I did anything else so that I couldn't be accused of diluting my time and efforts. And literally, the day after the finals exams were completed, I typed out, literally on a little portable um, typewriter, some scripts and sent them to the script editor BBC TV not really expecting anything to come back and I got a, a very small letter which I still have is A5 which said dear Mr Hancocks uh, thank you for your scripts please ring me and come and see me and this was from a chap called Ian Davidson uh, who was the script editor of BBC TV in those days so, needless to say, <laughs> I rang him upon the instant. Um, 
and met him. And it wasn't to book uh, a dental appointment for it him. It certainly wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I d apart from, you know, as a patient, I don't think he'd ever met a dentist <laughs> before. So it was slightly odd for him too. I was going to say, did that take um, some explaining or was he quite um, happy with that? He was quite happy with that. I mean, he... As far as I know, I, I'm sure he's, he's, yes, he is still alive. Um, and he did a, a lot of work with Barry Humphreys, Acker, Dame Edna and Les Patterson uh, for many years. And, of course, very sadly, um, uh, he, he's just passed away, Barry Humphreys. Um, but no, Ian was very helpful. And uh, he said, well, there's not much you can write for for TV at the moment because most of the stuff is... Uh, out to commission writers but there's a radio program called Weekending um, which was broadcast on a Friday evening repeated Saturday tea time on Radio 4 and it was a kind of forerunner to Have I Got News For You and he said they're always looking for new writers so I listened to this for a couple of weeks uh, and this is pre-internet and everything else so then knew that it was a tight timetable wrote some material, put it in the first-class post um, on, I think, the Tuesday or Wednesday of the week and listened to the programme on the Friday evening and thought, I wrote this? Oh, my God, this is mine. And that was really how the whole writing thing began. And, uh, yeah, and, and in the meantime, yes, of course, uh, in dentistry, um, started in the community service in Camden and Islington, um, I was actually, you know, how time progresses and it's really very frightening. And my first job was in a brand new health centre just off the Caledonian Road. Uh, and my first day as a, as a registered professional was literally unpacking the surgery. And I was devastated to hear recently that they've actually now knocked down the health centre, <laughs> which kind of put it all into a perspective, really. So fast forward... Mm. You know, you're rapidly approaching your 20-year anniversary of being editor of the BDJ. So what got you then interested? I mean, you've sort of touched on your writing, but I'm thinking more mm. of publications. I'm th mm. thinking more of journal editing. That's that's a slightly different mm. ball game from what you've just been mm. describing. Sure, yes, you're quite right. 20 years, um, I suspect, as with... A lot of people, most people listening, started in jobs and thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll give this a try for six months or a couple of years and see what happens. And here we are, yes, nearly 20 years later, which I would never have envisioned or anticipated, but that's the way life takes you along. It was really a, kind of mixed up with what I've been describing about script writing because... Um, I answered an advert in the British Dental Journal, ironically. Um, you were saying a few moments ago, Josh, about things going around in a circle, mm. and yeah. they certainly do, um, which said, are you a keen writer? Um, writer wanted for clinical notes for the FDI, World Dental Federation, who in those days, which was the 1980s, were actually um, headquartered in the BDA building, on the third floor of the BDA building, um, which again is a, a full circle thing. Um, so I applied. At, the, at this stage, the, the other writing uh, for radio and television had dipped off a bit 
as these things do, peaks and troughs. So I applied for this and um, I had to write um, some examples of my work on a for a particular um, template or example I gave, sent it in um, and and arrived on the third floor in the office of the chief executive, a very jolly Swede called Jan-Erik Alberg, um, who sat me down and, and so on. And I thought it was an interview. Uh, and it was one of those classic moments in life where you're at complete cross purposes. So I'm trying to be as you know polite and proper and, and reserved as I can be because this is an interview, and it's actually him saying, "No, you've got the job. You know, when can you start? Let's let me introduce you to the rest of the staff, kind of thing." So it was all, <laughs> all a bit kind of odd and fractured, but it, but in a very humorous way. Um, so then wrote for the FDI for. Uh, a little while, probably 18 months or so, and then they said they wanted an associate editor for the International Dental Journal. The editor then was Professor Roy Duckworth. So I joined uh, Professor Duckworth um, as associate editor, and that was really where the editing came along. And he was marvellous. He said, well, for the purposes of this, um, I'm going to treat you like a registrar. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to teach you how to do proofreading and how to edit and so on. Well, I'm sure there um, is a skill to that, and uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and you have to just try these things. So it's you, a sad day when we stop learning from each other. Julie, you're absolutely right, and and that approach, his approach, was so valuable, and uh, you know, I I acknowledge it now and, and always do because it taught me so much at a. Uh, well, at the beginning of, of an editing career, really. And from then on, various things happened. Uh, I got uh, the job as deputy editor of BDA News, now BDJ in practice. Um, I then became editor of the International Dental Journal and editor of the BDJ and, and so on. So, yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> and you've edited a lot of different publications uh having a look at the list before this there's a whole host of different uh different areas and so how did you get into all these different things is it just you've got one job you speak to somebody you end up doing something else or what's the story behind all those exactly. additional that's it you've answered the question josh <laughs> 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 um, no you're absolutely right that that is effectively what happened um Michael Parkinson, who I would love to have my own chat show. Uh, I think that opportunity's probably passed now, but who knows? Michael Parkinson was one of my heroes, and uh, he often used to interview. Oh, now my mind's gone completely blank. Um, Scottish comedian Billy Connolly, and uh, I remember him saying in an interview similar to this, really. You know, so Billy, you know, how have you managed to collect all these different things that you've done? And Billy Connolly took a huge deep breath and put his head forward. And in those days, he had a lot of hair. And then he tossed his head fully backwards with his hair kind of flying behind him. And he said, Michael, just say yes. And that's kind of been a theme for me. Uh, Be a cheeky chappy and just say yes. So when anybody came along and said, do you fancy editing this or do you fancy writing that? I'd just say yes. I think um, that's really um, good advice, actually, yeah, for, for everybody, everybody, really. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm known in my um, professional 
friendships that I sometimes say yes when I mean no and I say no when I should have said yes. But but I think on balance, I think actually just to say yes a bit more often, you just never know what comes out of those yeses, do you? So so I think that's that's a really big thing for our listeners to take on board. I hope so. I mean, it doesn't suit everybody. Um, for, for some people, you know, saying yes. Uh, and obviously there are occasions when you don't say yes and you're rather more guarded and sometimes, yes, you do have to say no or a polite decline. Um, so it doesn't suit everybody, but, you know, thus far it seems to have done me okay so um that broadly speaking that's that's how i got to be involved in all the various uh, publications that, that are on the list <laughs> <laughs> so the sort of natural obvious question to go on okay. from that really is what are the good bits what are the bad bits i mean you mm-hmm. know there's there's always mm-hmm. going to be a bit of a mixture isn't there so oh, perhaps tell us a little bit about the good bits and the not so good bits what kept you past those six months that you were expecting to stay (laughs) yes um what kept me i think was just the challenge of um suddenly being in charge of really the bda's part of the bda's family silver um and i'm still these years later very conscious and you say you're not a national uh, treasure (laughs) (laughs) bless (laughs) thank you um, perhaps, perhaps not as beautiful as Judy Dench, but maybe a tad more than Stephen Fry. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I think the challenge really kept me there, and what I wanted to do uh, with the BDJ particularly was to make it the natural debating chamber for the profession in this country, and and as it has now turned out pretty much worldwide so you know i come from a fairly humble background i don't know the answers to all these things the best way i think is to have two points of view or more and debate it and particularly in relation to clinical and scientific matters you know i often joke that um there's no such thing as evidence-based dentistry it's just evidence-based anecdote because every dentist does it slightly differently and says, well, it works in my hands. Mm. Um, So one of the things, one of the good parts of the job is, I hope, curating, stewarding, those continuing debates on what works, what doesn't, what's good for patients, what's good for teams, and, and so on. So those certainly are the good bits. Also, really developing it from the BDJ and a sort of handful of slightly diverse titles to bring all of those together as the BDJ portfolio, which it is nowadays, um, and which really from the moment we started to do that and consolidate it, everybody got it, um, which pleased me enormously. But more than that, it's meant that as a portfolio it's really increased beyond kind of my wildest dreams or expectations in terms of its impact factor it's um, hopefully uh, its influence but certainly in terms of its international reach and reputation so i would say those were the good bits um are there any bad bits i suppose (laughs) 
yes, there are certain correspondents who regularly tell me that, that they've picked up yet another proofreading error and that there's a U missing from honorary or there's a comma missing from something or another. Um, that's not really so bad. I think that the, probably the most difficult job is finding the subject for an editorial twice a month. Um, and at my, I think it was the 15th anniversary of uh, my being in position, the the team who are fantastic, that's actually, that is one of the really good things about the job. The team are amazing and have been. I mean, they, some have come and left over that period, but throughout that whole time, without exception, they are so good, so dedicated, so professional, they're fantastic. Um, and they had reprinted and bound in a beautiful leather volume for me the editorials from the last 15 years and uh it's terrifying actually I, I can't i can't i wouldn't but i can't sit and read it because i just a i pick up some of the proof <laughs> oh no how did i let that go by um so when you but, find yeah. yourself reading things like that is it a little bit like when we hear our voices or see ourselves on camera, whether that's a moving camera or whether that's a still? Do you, do you you really do look at your stuff and think, oh God, did I really say that fifteen years ago? Or? Very much, yes. And I I think you're absolutely right, Julia. We all do that. I think is part of the human condition that we we look at whatever we've done. I'm sure it's the same for a a potter or a carpenter podcast or whatever, host. or a podcast <laughs> host. Absol absolutely, because hopefully, as you said a few minutes ago, you know we're constantly learning. We're constantly trying to better our skills and our knowledge. And so inevitably, when we look back, we go, oh, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I'd done that differently, or nowadays I would do that differently because. Uh, so yeah, I, th I think, I wouldn't say that was a, a bad part of the job, but it's it's one of the most challenging parts of the job to, to come up with that. And again, people say, well, you know, how, how do you manage it? And I, I I do not know. I mean, I do not know. Sometimes the, the the irony is that I can get what I think is a really good idea and turn it over in my mind for sometimes weeks and do a draft and then come back to it and then do another draft as well and, and hone it and polish it and it goes out there and there is no reaction whatsoever. No, nobody says anything. Nobody writes in. Nobody emails. Nobody texts. Nothing. And then there's the other sort where two o'clock in the morning when it's got to be in at nine o'clock the next morning I still haven't written it and so somehow or another 830 words which is what it has to be uh, is suddenly on the page at nine o'clock and has gone in and I can't remember what it is and I don't really know, you know how I did it or remember writing it and those are the ones that get all the attention and all the so I don't know it it's a mystery. <laughs> it's always the way. So we're all very well aware that you are editor of the British Dental Journal, but the BDA in its entirety have got lots of different types of publications out there mm. and clearly trying to include all members of the team. So perhaps you can share with us some um, publications that people may or may not be mm. uh, aware of. Mm. Thank you, Julia. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the 
great pleasures or, or great satisfactions of being uh, I'm, my title is actually editor-in-chief um, of the BDJ is is exactly that is being able to have created bring together the portfolio so we now have the BDJ uh, BDJ open which is an open access completely free to view and read publication which we started in 2015 uh, and is now very successful it's just about to get its first impact factor this year and I'm delighted uh, that we did that that was a real innovation um, at the time now it's kind of a bit oh yeah well everybody's got an open access publication but in those days that was quite new We've got BDJ in practice which as the name suggests is focused on practice and more on the business side and the management side um, but again across a range BDJ student again as the <laughs> name suggests for students uh, again online and completely free to view which again I think is great credit to the BDA that, that they do that and for me very importantly as well BDJ team which again as the name suggests is open to the whole team so open to the world but particularly to DCPs we have a fabulous editor of that um, Kate Kate Quinlan who has been again with the BDJ for many years as many years as I have uh, and has got great experience worked on the predecessor of BDJ team which was vital and now it always sounded to me a little bit like a margarine but anyway it's it's now BDJ team um, and I've really fought for that and to keep that over the years because I think partly as well with Dame Margaret Seawood's influence way back in the last century, which sounds so long ago now, um, that the dental team was the way forward. And so BDJ team is online, is available, has fantastic content for uh, all DCPs. Kate, as I say, does a brilliant job. Um, so, yeah, in terms of trying to so reach as many people. So there's a lot out people, there if, if people yeah, know where to find it. And, uh, uh, absolutely. And, I mean, you can, you can Google, you can search for BDJ Team, BDJ Student, they're available, BDJ Open, um, in practice, and BDJ itself are member benefits of the BDA. So they are, they, they're reserved for, I think it's six months, I should know, and I should get told off because I don't know I think it's six months before they are completely open as well but there is that period during which they're available only to BDA members but of course nowadays with downloads and PDFs and all the rest of it stuff gets copied and sent around as it as it did in the old days with photocopiers but I mean, it's just probably easier now yeah um, no, that's 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 good to know, and I think that's uh, helpful for our listeners. So thank you. And then, whilst all this was happening, you started your own publishing company as well. So what's the story behind behind what's that? Behind that, um, just say yes. Um, it was um, Professor Liz Kay's fault, really. Um, if you're listening, Liz, um, in those that now just past president of the BDA, but in those days, um, she had written a book. I think the. I think it was called Communication on the Dental Team. Certainly the subsequent one was. <clears throat> um, and the people who published that didn't want to do a revised 
uh, version for reasons of their own, nothing to do with the quality of Lizzie's writing or anything. And so she came into me at the BDA. I was in those days commissioning editor of the BDJ. Uh, and so I was there a couple of days a week. And she came in and said, you know, I've got this book. Would the BDJ like to publish it? And I said, well, really our remit is clinical titles and this is about communication. I, you know, arguably I know, I mean, it is very important and arguably it's clinical, but I just don't think it would fit with what we're doing. So she said, well, do you know of another publisher who would publish it? And I said, well, I'll publish it for you. And she said, but you're not a publisher. And I said, no, but if you let me publish it, I'll become a publisher. <laughs> and so that's how it began. <laughs> so she's got a lot to answer for. So, yeah, in more ways than one. But if you're listening, Liz, I'll make it up to you. <laughs> so that, that was the beginning. And then uh, CPD came along as a result of um, having a publishing company Again, various people contacted me and said, would you be interested in doing this, that, and the other? Um, so we then got several journals that uh, we published, and some of them we still publish these years later, which is fantastic. Then CPD came along, so we started the whole CPD thing online, and we were, I think, quite certainly at the forefront, if not pioneers, in terms of online CPD and so forth, uh, and CPD through books, which again was completely new. Well, that, that sort of brings me on to sort of my next question. I mean, people who know you will know that you were awarded an OBE for services to dentistry. Mm -hmm. And clearly we're talking about multiple things that you've done in your career mm -hmm. um, to date. But do you think there are any ones that really stand out, these achievements that you consider your most memorable, your most special, if you like, um, achievements. Thank you. Um, the OBE, of course, was was extraordinary and literally came out of nowhere. I mean, I had absolutely no idea or forewarning, foreknowledge of it at all. I mean, that was just extraordinary. And yes, of course, enormously proud of that. I think as much for mum and dad as, as for myself, and they were able to come along to And to your Buckingham dentist, Paris. presumably, who... Um... <laughs> Sadly, he, he died by then, unfortunately, oh. so he never actually got to to know about that. But it, of course, well, hopefully he would have been. Uh, I think he'd have done another very big Sid James laugh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, obviously proud for mum and dad. Um, Dame Margaret Seawood... Um, She'd said, because she'd, I think, recently, prior to that, I, I'm not sure if she was a dame then or she'd just got a CBE. But anyway, she said to me, congratulations, of course, she said, but when you get the invitation, you'll be offered the possibility of a car parking space for the ceremony in Buckingham Palace. Say, ticket, say yes, ticket, because she said it's the most wonderful experience. And if anybody's listening and this is relevant to you as well, do say yes, because 
you get the experience of driving your parents through the front gates of Buckingham Palace with everybody saluting. And it was, I think it's probably the proudest moment of certainly my dad's Did you have life, to use your car or did you change it? <laughs> yeah. Just rent, rent was, something I, for a day. <laughs> it was very tempting. I did actually use my own car, yeah, but it was, it, I made sure it was hand-washed beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sorry, that was, that was a, a bit of a flippant answer to your question. In terms of... Yes, other things that I'm proud of. I think one of the things which was a little bit um, tangential, really, initially, but which I am very pleased about, I'm not sure proud is the right word, and that was in initiating, certainly in dentistry, the debate about um, initially HIV, but then later blood-borne um, infection um, healthcare workers and how in the early days, certainly of HIV, dentists, basically as soon as they were diagnosed HIV positive, that was the end of their job and career. Yeah, that was a very sad... I mean, there'll be plenty of people who are listening to this podcast who will be aghast yeah. that you're mm. even mentioning something like that. So I'm sorry mm. I'm interrupting you about no. that because I think it's a, mm. it's a topic that we could almost do a whole topic yeah. on that of a podcast. It's, Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, sorry. Please. Yeah, no, no, please don't apologise. It, it's good that immediately that stirs that reaction in, in you these years later because to me that was shocking when again we had the scientific knowledge not as much as we have now but even in those days we had the scientific knowledge um, which in my opinion meant that this was just a gross overreaction to the situation and the way that came about was I was on a forum for medic medics and dentists dis uh, it was discussing something else completely and then from nowhere the, this dentist his colleague came in and was basically ranting about exactly the situation and I asked if I could contact him privately outside this this chat uh, line or a forum which I did and explained who I was and said you know obviously anonymously would you be prepared to write your experiences for the BDJ and we met uh, and talked it through and obviously he was in a very difficult place personally professionally and so forth but I'm always grateful to him and I think a lot of people nowadays uh, if they knew who he was would also be very grateful to him because he did write that I, I think it was called clearing your desks clearing your desk 20 minutes from now or something like that because basically within 20 minutes of his diagnosis that was that was it. He had to clear it, not his desk, but his surgery, and that was it. Yeah, and, and that sad in times. turn very sad times. And so, uh, in in time and in turn, that led to a great change in the way in which we generally uh, in the professions regard healthcare workers with bloodborne uh, disease, bloodborne conditions. So, yeah, I'm 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 very proud of being at least an, an initiator in, in that process. And every right to be proud of something like that. Thank you. I think something that strikes me from what you've said, one is about always saying yes. Um, you've obviously worked on lots of different things. You've had lots of success within within dentistry and within what you've done. What 
what motivates you? What what makes you say yes? Why do you keep doing these things, all these different projects? You could stay in one place and do one thing, but you seem like you don't want to. So what's the motivation? <laughs> uh, I just keep moving. Um, <laughs> just keep changing address. Um, what's the motivation? I think it's wishing to make a positive difference. Um, I don't hold any strong religious views, um, but there's something in me that kind of believes in good and evil and positive and negative. And yeah, I think what motivates me is wanting to make a positive difference, wanting to help people, wanting to perhaps inspire people, wanting people just to laugh and enjoy life because I think life is an incredible thing. It's it's very short, it's very brutal, um, but we don't have to dwell on that every minute of every day. So I think that's really what, what motivates me. Um, the other question that I get asked sort of in relation to that is, you know, what motivates you to write? And that answer is very easy, a deadline. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say life, actually. <laughs> life, yeah. I mean, well, it's yes, some people say money, but actually, no, it's a deadline. It could be because nothing gets written. Very few things get written if it's not for a deadline. Because you're always, I, w I would never have written all those editorials if it hadn't been for a deadline. I'd still be thinking about the first one. And because, you know, it's every fortnight, you've got to do it. So it's the deadline that motivates you. But um, I, I think, yeah, try, want, wishing, wanting to make a positive difference, I think, is, is the answer to that one. And it sounds like you've had a platform to do that. And not, not everybody mm, yeah. has that, really, do they? So I, I, think I say that, though, but how can people create their own platform how can how can they do that sort of thing sure uh, um yeah if if you want to to write particularly if you want to get published i think it partly comes back to Josh's, Josh's question um what motivates you why do you want to write um you know, is it because you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to be a, a best-selling novelist? Is it because you just want to record something for posterity? Or is it because, particularly in terms of research, whether it's dental or medical or scientific, do you want to develop the human condition? Do you want to add to the debate and so on? So I think the first thing is to ask yourself what motivates you to want to write and that seems like that's an obvious question to ask, but a lot of people I don't think ask that of themselves. They just go, oh, I know I want to write. And that leads them into a muddle because they get partway down the road and kind of go, why am I doing this? Whereas if you start out with a very clear idea of why you're doing it, it definitely helps. And then having done that, look at a publication, a podcast, a website, whatever it is that inspires you that you would like to write for and study the form, particularly in relation to scientific journals. Please read the instructions to authors. They're quite boring, but they're incredibly important. Um, that saves disappointment, doesn't it? I suppose if you... Time and time again. 
absolutely, Julia, time and time again. I mean, there there are so many submissions that we get that are just not appropriate. They're very good, but they're just not appropriate yeah. because it's not what we publish. And so a lot of the submissions that we reject are not because they're bad. They're just not appropriate for us. And I often use the example of gardening or modern model railways you know you could write the best article in the world on model railways and send it to the bdj and we'd reject it why not because it's not a very interesting and very good article but it's not what we publish um so i would say to aspiring writers figure out why you want to do it figure out who you want to do it for and then really do your research into what's required the the number of emails i get saying dear 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 professor hancock which is very flattering and those are the (laughs) ones i always reply to first um um, we would we would really like to write for the bdj what sort of things do you publish and you kind of go if you have to ask that question you've lost the point because you know, go into a library, pick up a copy, go online. Perhaps those read are the people it, you know. think that you're model railway <laughs> editor is. instead of um, the BDJ editor. <laughs> Very good. So I think maybe the obvious question to ask after asking all of these questions would be, what happened to clinical dentistry in all of this? <laughs> what's the what's the story there? It's an extremely good question. Um, So the FDI wanted to start their own publishing house. Um, They'd just taken back the International Dental Journal from the then publisher, and we had various other publications that we could add into the mix. And they offered me the job of, um, what was it called, Uh, publications manager for World Dental Press, which necessarily was a full-time job. And I was still in clinical dentistry part-time at that stage and did um and ah. I didn't say an immediate yes. Uh, I did um and ah. But you the, didn't get your yeses in your nose mixed up I, anyway. Uh, well, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> or yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, and I figured, well, if I say no, I will never know what might have happened. If I say yes and it all goes wrong, I can go back to being a clinical dentist. If I say yes and something else happens, who knows what may happen? Um, And that's what did happen. I said yes and a whole bunch of other things um, transpired from there, um, including um, then going off to to drama school, which had been the the dream or the wish all those years ago. And uh, that a sequence of events prompted that to happen as well. So um, that's what happened to clinical dentistry. Yeah. Um, Do you miss I, it? Yeah, I knew you could <laughs> ask that. I knew, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, Josh. Do you miss A level physics? Uh, physics, definitely not. There we go. A levels generally. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. It was a yeah easier time. <laughs> I could be tempted. No, I get what you mean. You grow, yeah. you do something else. You and, move on. Yeah. yeah. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. And I'm sure I would enjoy it if I went back to it, but I, I don't think that that's very likely now at this stage. And I do, I do miss the patients. I do miss the people very much. And I'd specialised bef- before paediatric dentistry was a specialism. I'd 
kind of specialized in that and special care dentistry and the patients were amazing i mean they were just lovely kids and um and i do miss still to this day i still think of some of them uh, i remember uh, <laughs> a seven-year-old coming in once and uh, sitting in the chair so oh, you know how how are you today so oh, i'm okay so oh, dear you don't sound very okay what you know what what surprise oh i don't know just there's so many worries so i said oh dear what what in particular he said Oh, inflation. <laughs> <laughs> and you they're always wrong-footing you. It's just great. I just love it. <laughs> so changing subject completely from yeah. seven-year-old politicians. Okay, yeah, chair, indeed. <laughs> uh, we ask everybody a little random question on mm. this podcast. And, and our random question really is about having a billboard in Piccadilly Circus. Ooh, okay. you, can, you can put any message on there. You know, anything that you want to say, you know, in, what, what what would you want to order. put that? What would be your message up there? Wow, in relation to dentistry or just in in life in general? Well, I think we'll probably do dentistry because otherwise yes. we'll get caught <laughs> up in <laughs> railway <laughs> model railways or well, yes, pediatric <laughs> dentistry or anything else that we might get wildly <laughs> sidetracked <laughs> and talking <laughs> about. Oh yes, heaven forbid. Um, well, if, I'm going to dodge the question and say, if it was anything, I've already given you the answer that it would be just say yes. Um, in relation to dentistry, oh, eat, eat less sugar less often, because I think that's that's really the core of so many problems in dentistry. Uh, I apologies to the periodontists who are listening uh, that's very important too um, but again going back to when I was an undergraduate I the first couple of years I lived at home and commuted into London and I remember walking across the concourse at Euston and seeing a, an advert for a railway worker position and it was of uh, a man smiling obviously trying to induce people to apply for this position with the most dreadful teeth and i mean of course it was uppermost in my mind being a dental student and i just thought oh, why are they using that but actually probably at the time that was the demographic that the, the pr company or the hr company were aimed at nowadays you would never see that in an advert um and i think that's a huge change and that, together with tooth whitening, with all the kind of um, aesthetic things we have nowadays, has brought about a huge change in oral health and attitudes to oral health. So, yeah, I think Piccadilly Circus, eat less sugar less often. Thank you very, very much for coming in today. It's been really, really great. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much Thank for inviting you. me. Thank you both. If you've been inspired by that episode, did you know that the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre provide training for the whole dental team? Follow us on social media or search for the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre to find out more. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. Mm -hmm.